0: mamas. Glad you could join me today. Today's episode is going to be all about what I took away from the Rachel Hollis Rise Live um, virtual conference that I, I guess, attended, um, I bought one of the tickets where I could watch over time, so I've been watching a couple of speakers each night um, for the past week or so and have just really, really loved it. The theme of the event was all about courage. And, you know, right now we need courage uh, because this whole pandemic thing is scary and it's unknown and it's a lot. And a lot of us are juggling so many different things that it was just really inspiring to hear from all of these speakers. So I'm excited to share with you some of my takeaways. Thanks for joining Memoirs from the Minivan today. Well, hey again. I hope that y'all are having a great day. It is a beautiful weekend here in Nashville, and I am sitting in my closet. The kids and I spent the morning playing with neighbors, and we were playing in their little kiddie pool, or they were playing. I was not playing in the kiddie pool. Um, I was sitting in the sun, uh, getting a sunburn, and talking to other moms which has really become really one of my favorite things to do is just talk to other moms and hear their perspectives especially you know working moms who are juggling all the things that we talk about you know here at memoirs from the minivan so um yeah so we've had a really fun day and we got up and moved our body this morning and went for a walk and enjoyed some of the sunshine and now they're napping and I took a shower and am sitting in my closet with a towel around my head talking to you guys So um, I'm really excited to share what I took away from this virtual conference. I think it's the first time they've ever done anything like that. And it was a result of the pandemic and obviously needing to be in quarantine. And so there's just a lot of really good stuff. And so I wanted to share um, just some things that were big takeaways for me as I, you know, went through and listened to all these speakers and, um, you know, one of the things they really talked about was mindset and how important our mindset is. Um, and that, you know, really there's a couple of things. So like mindset is really the way that we think about what we see, um, and our, our past influences really have something to do with that. So like our perspective and, you know, how we view things and what has shaped our opinions and all that kind of stuff has to do with our mindset. And one of the things Rachel took just a minute to kind of talk about was this word should. You know, right now during this pandemic, I feel like there's so much should you know, going on. And she would say, you know, stop shooting all over yourself. Stop thinking about, well, I should have done this or I should have done that. And, um, you know, these parents are doing this. I should have done that. And, you know, just really figure out what you want this experience to be like right now. Figure out how you want to feel at the end of this. And then, you know, align what you're doing with that. And just, you know, she really focused on just stopping that comparison game and stopping this whole, like, you know, shooting all over yourself. And she broke down, and this is the first time I'd ever heard this, but there is something called, I think she called it, like, the triune theory, and it's how kind of the three parts of the brain work, and I wish I could show you a picture, but basically you have, like, the reptile brain, which is, like, the basic function. These are, like, Keep her alive. Like, don't let her fall off any cliffs. And then you have the mammal part of the brain, which deals with things like emotions, memories, past, like, knowledge and from experiences. This is kind of, like, based on your own past experience. And then you have, like, the human part, which is, like, the frontal lobe. And this is where you actually have rational thought and during this pandemic you know she talked about how so many of us are really living in that reptile brain keep us safe stay home put on the mask we're just kind of living in this world of keeping ourselves safe and it's almost like a fear you know kind of place because it's just unknown we don't even have memories or past experiences to really tell us you know how this is going to work out. And so she kind of, you know, walked us through this sort of step-by-step set of questions to really help us understand a little bit more of what we're going through. And the first question was, you know, how are you feeling right now? Some of that could be hope. You know, hopefulness of of things starting to improve. Some of that could be guilt because if you're like me and you're a working mom, you're dealing with trying to juggle your workload, trying to make sure your kids are taken care of. Um, Jeff and I had both been home for a while, so we were sharing a lot of the responsibilities of that educational piece. And then he went back to the office this week. So that has just completely, you know, fallen on me. So I'm feeling you know, a little overwhelmed. Um, And then the next question was, have you felt like this before, right? And so, you know, yeah, there have been other times where I have felt overwhelmed and so the next question then is what made you feel this way in the past and what she's starting to do is draw this parallel to when we have felt some of these feelings in the past something happened right there was some kind of outcome and so a lot of times we can live in that same feeling or that same emotion and our minds will automatically connect that feeling or that um Knowing that you have felt like that before to whatever the other outcome was, and so that is you know related to those emotions that we've had before, and so that can really shape. You know our perspective on what's happening now, because if something's happened like this before and it ended poorly and we felt the same way and now we're in this situation, um, it just starts to connect why we feel that way, why we may feel anxious or why we may feel um, overwhelmed. But then she goes into talking about, you know, there's a big difference between having that fixed mindset and just kind of basing that on past experiences um, and what our limitations are and really having A growth mindset. And I really had some big takeaways from the growth mindset um, piece that she talked about. And one of the biggest things that I liked about what she said was switching the script on the two words, what if. You know, this looks really different if you're coming from a place of fear or you're coming from a place of of dreams and and a in a growth mindset. So, you know, some of the things and I even think about this with starting the podcast, like, what if I fail? What if no one listens to my podcast? What if nobody likes it? What if you know, this could be if you're let's say you're in a a chapter of life right now where you're trying to lose weight. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if I don't lose weight? What if I gain all the weight back? And so flipping kind of the script on those two words and just reminding yourself, what if I succeed? What if I have thousands of followers? What if I do lose the weight that I have been struggling with? Um, And so just kind of reminding ourselves and using that as a tool. And instead of going down that slippery slope of, well, what if all this happens? You know, that's where anxiety starts to creep in. Because, you know, another thing she mentioned was anxiety is really the fear of a made up future, right? That's what we do when we say, well, what if this or what if that? That is our fear. And and it's a fear of something that we don't know. Yeah, it could happen. That could, that could, you know, come to fruition. That could happen. But it also couldn't, you know, something else better or greater or different could happen. Um, And so I just loved that. You know, she had kind of a little chart there where on one side it said fixed mindset and the other side it said growth mindset. And it just had you flip that. What if I fail and then move over? What if I succeed, right? And just think about the opposites. I know right now with Ellie, I'm teaching her about opposites and all these different words and things. It just kind of made me think like, even with my kids, when they're, you know, frustrated um, trying to do something, well, what if it doesn't work or what if I can't do that? And just simply reminding them, but what if you can or what if you do? And so I thought that that was just really, really good. So the next speaker was Ed Mylett, And I don't know if you have listened to him before. Um, I've kind of gotten my husband on to listening to him because he's just a, a man's man. He's a big burly dude. And um, he just has a way of speaking the truth that I really identify with and um, really loved what he talked about. He talked about navigating times of crisis. And, you know, a lot of the speakers in the conference talked about crisis and having courage where we are because this is uncharted territory. This is such a strange time for all of us to be in. And so um, Ed talked a lot about emotions and how we really can let our emotions get the best of us, you know. Um, and so he posed the question, really, what's the meaning, you know, that we can take from this pandemic? Um, because the quality of our life is going to be equal to the quality of our emotions. And I thought that that was really good. Um, he said, you know, when you have a thought that creates a negative emotion, ask if that's true, right? Is that true, what I'm thinking right now? And does it serve me well? Um thinking, and I loved this too. Sometimes, you know, I'll say that word Well, I'm thinking about it. Thinking, he said, is the process of asking and answering questions to ourselves. Is that cool? I, I had never really thought about it that way, but thinking as the process of asking and answering questions with ourselves. I really, really liked that. The other thing that I thought was really good is he talked a lot about how right now everybody just feels helpless. You know, we feel like there's nothing we can do about COVID. Uh, We can't make it go away. We can't just change the way that we have to live with each other right now. We miss our families. We miss hugging people. I'm not even a hugger, and I miss hugging people. And he talked about really the antidote of feeling helpless is to help others. He said, you can't really feel helpless when you're helping somebody else. And so I loved that because I just thought... That's some of the things that we've tried to do with the kids. Um, We went around and delivered goodie bags on Easter, and we've done some different things. But just things that bring other people joy um, can't help but bring you joy as well. And so when you're feeling that hopeless feeling um, or helpless feeling, helping others is something that we can definitely do. Uh, The second part that he talked about was self-confidence and you know in I feel like in the women you know in women's communities we talk a lot about self-confidence we talk a lot about self-esteem and positive body image and we kind of relate all those things together and he said he kind of broke down self-confidence into keeping the promises that you make to yourself Make simple promises and then see them through. And I just thought that that was really good because I have never thought of self-confidence as being able to keep my promises to myself, right? I'm really good at keeping promises to other people. Those who know me know that I have like a really good work ethic. I'm very passionate about my job and I really, really strive to do a good job. And yet a lot of times, if I'm being really transparent, a lot of times I forget to keep my promises to myself. You know, I might say, well, I'm gonna gonna do 30 minutes of walking every day this week because I know that that's gonna make me feel better. And then I won't. Or I'll say, um, I'm going to, you know, I I ordered a planner this year and it has a whole section dedicated to self-care on every single day. And, you know, I said, I'm going to make that a priority. And most of the time I don't because I I let something else come in front of that. And so that's one of the things I'm definitely working on is, you know, if my self-confidence is tied to the promises that I make to myself and my ability to follow through on those promises, you know, then that's a really important thing for me to pay attention to. So those were my two big takeaways uh, from him. If you don't follow him, I highly recommend it. He has some great YouTube videos. Um, It's just some really great things. And he lives on the beach, so there's always a good ocean view. So in addition to uh, Rachel talking, um, her husband Dave has also really started getting into talking and doing some speaking and stuff. And he also talked about confidence. and. He defined confidence, which sometimes it's cool just to read a definition, you know, of something because confidence is defined as the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It means firm trust. And so when you put self in front of confidence, it's a firm trust in myself, or in yourself. And I just, I thought that was so good. He talked about how change is one of the things that really challenges our confidence, um, but that we have the ability to really engineer confidence as well. So he talked about, you know, if you, you can't really know how to believe in yourself, If you don't know what you believe in and so really establishing belief systems, who am I? What do I stand for? What are the core values in my life that tell me where I want to focus my energy? Um, I I loved that. I thought that that was really, really good. Um, And then when you think about where do I lack confidence, like where does my lack of confidence come from, you know, not being smart enough or not having enough knowledge, or a lot of times it's worried about other people, like What other people are going to think of me? Um, Worried about that one known or unknown, you know, going back to that whole what if thing. And so he gave just some simple pieces um, to building confidence that I thought were really good. And he said, really, you know, start with those values. Um, You know, if you're a working mom like me, you have corporate values, right? Our companies have values and that's what they use as a filter when they're talking about, decisions or making decisions for the company, they use that filter. And so we can do the same thing in our lives. We can make sure that we clearly understand our values and then filter our decisions through those. Um, I thought that was really good. And then he said, just acknowledge the space that's between where you are, And where you're going. Right. And, you know, not shooting again all over ourselves and thinking about all the ways we don't measure up, but just acknowledging um, that there's a space that we need to grow into um, and how, you know, developing can plan for how we want to get to that. So, um, he also said that there's a lot of things that come from, you know, like our childhood and our family of origin, you know, he gave the answer or the example that he was always told he couldn't run because he was tall. Well he said, you know, my mom told me that and she is neither a runner nor tall. So I don't know why I took her as an expert. You know, why are why are our parents a credible source for life, you know, and I struggle with that even sometimes as an adult. If there are things that they did really well, if the, if they are experts in a certain area, then by all means, you know, listen and take from that, you know, what can what can benefit you, but in the areas where they don't have any expertise, um, you know why do we why do we care about the opinions you know of others or even our own family if they don't have any expertise in that area where we 're trying to grow and I feel like that's kind of hard to hear, um, but I feel like there was there was just a lot of truth um in that, so um, yeah, so his his stuff was really good. You know, I I had some big takeaways from there, and I think um, one of the things I really feel like I struggle with is my confidence sometimes in parenting. You know, I'm I'm very confident in work, and I think it's easy to say I'm confident in work because it's super easy to be like, well, I'm successful at work. I sell X number of dollars, and so it's easy for me to quantitatively put a number on that success, what that means for me. But when you try to put that same filter on parenting, I mean, who the heck knows, right? Some days my kids seem like they're doing great and I feel really good as a parent, Other days, I'm dragging them out of Walmart, carrying them side saddle like a pack of potatoes because they've had a meltdown in some aisle, you know. I mean, not right now because I don't take them anywhere, but that's how that has worked in the past. And so I feel like in parenting, it's really difficult to try and figure out, am I being successful? Because there's no quantitative, you know, data that sits there and says, yes, this equals a good parent. And so for me, the big takeaway was I have to look at my values and as I raise my kids and as Jeff and I make decisions about the kids and about our family, are we making those decisions and running them through the the value filters that we've said define our family. And um so that was that was a big takeaway, you know, for me there. And the one last thing that I loved about what Dave had to say about confidence and I thought that this was just so good and especially something good for us moms to remind ourselves about is that the beauty of confidence is that it's created along the way, right? I'm just going to say it again because I need to hear it too. The beauty of confidence is that it's created along the way. So we don't have to feel like we have it all right right now. We know that confidence is a journey and that we continue to create confidence by showing up for ourselves and for following through with those promises you know, that we've made to ourselves. So the... um. The next speaker was Donald Miller, um, who I was not really familiar with at all. And he talked about Stories um, and kind of how to be the hero of your story. And I actually I follow Chris Hogan. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but Chris Hogan spoke at John Maxwell's leadership event back in October of last year, which was just a big kind of aha moment for me um, as far as pursuing some of these dreams that I had had. And so now I follow Chris Hogan um, on Instagram. He does an Instagram live every day. He is a big speaker for dave ramsey he does a lot of talks for him he's written um i think several books um he talks like the guy from all so he's just this big kind of burly really low voice um it's fun to listen to anytime people are on live he always gets asked if he's ever done any like Video or like movie voiceover kind of stuff. But um, he, I had reached out to him just to ask about some good resources, and he actually responded and and said uh, that he recommended reading Story Brand uh, by Donald Miller. And so I was really excited to hear Donald Miller's part in the conference because he's not someone that I was familiar with. And he has this theory, or I guess kind of analogy, that there are stories basically right that just make up our entire life and that there are four characters who tend to be in every story and because they're in every story we also have all four of these characters in us. And I love to write. And so I really just was excited to hear this because it really connected with storytelling and that kind of thing. And so I just want to run through those real quick because I I thought they were really interesting. So the first character in the story that, that Don Miller talked about was the victim. And he said, you know, the victim has a huge part in the story, right? Because they're the person who really makes the hero look good and really makes the villain look bad. The victim attracts resources, but the victim never becomes the better version of themselves. So the victim kind of sucks resources out of those around them, but the story doesn't really end well. For the victim, and so he just identified, you know, don't do that. If you have an area in your life where you feel like you're the victim, figure out how to get out of that, uh, because victims don't transform. If you think about stories, um, you know, the victim is still kind of the same at the end as they were at the beginning. I thought that was really interesting. He also talked about the villain. That a big part of any story in making the hero look good, is the villain. Because the villain tends to have a lot of pain. And so they want others to have a lot of pain. And the villain inevitably goes down and is defeated. Villains don't have friends. They have minions. And I also thought that was really interesting. Um, And so thinking about my own life and, you know, where do I play the victim and where do I play the villain, it's really interesting to think about who you are in different stories or different aspects of your life. The hero is the third character. And he said that this is just a hard role. This is the person who stands up and says, I don't know how this will work out. um, But the hero decides to suffer. Otherwise, the story isn't interesting, right? So he talked about how they stand firm in their faith, they take action, they prove their own identity, and heroes in the end usually end up really great. Um, You know, they win the story. They're the hero or heroine. And then the last one was the guide, and this is the person who really helps the hero. This is the person, this is the part of you that responds to wanting to help The guide has been there, done that kind of thing. Let me help you. Let me share with you you what I've gone through so that you don't have to go through that as badly or you can learn from my mistakes. The the, uh, guide understands the game, and so it helps the good guys win, right? Um, He kind of ended with, you know, really the guide is where you want to be if you can in life, um, because life is really about helping other people win, right? You end up winning when you help other people win. I thought that was really great. Um, And he kind of summed that into the conference um, theme by saying courage is playing the hero so that you can become the guide. So Courage is going after your dreams. Courage is standing up for what's right. Courage is, you know, helping the victim. Courage is standing up against the villain um, so that you go through all these different chapters and potholes and struggles and challenges so that we can become the guide and turn around and say, girl, I got you. I have been there. I have done that. Um, Let me help you. Here's what I know. Here's what I learned. Um, That's really, you know, what I want to do with memoirs from the minivan is really help moms just be reassured. Um, by hearing the stories of other working moms that have been there and done that. And so I really love that. If you've never read his book, um, Story Brand by Donald Miller, uh, if you're interested in that, it might be a really good thing. There's a lot of psychology stuff there, but I really loved his stuff. So one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram is Jen Hatmaker, and she was one of the speakers as well for this Rise Live conference, and she did a talk on parenting with courage uh, in this pandemic, and it was hysterical. Um, I laughed and laughed and laughed. If you don't follow her on Instagram, um, she's just incredibly real. And, you know, she's in her office and she has these baby birds chirping because they've, you know, this mama bird has built a nest. And she says, you know, I hope that you will consider this soundtrack behind me new life uh, and not be annoyed by the baby birds. But I love her. She's great. Uh, Very real. And, you know, her conversation about parenting with courage right now, um, she talked about how the greatest enemy of parenting with courage is fear. And that, you know, a lot of us as parents want to put up the bumper rails at the bowling alley for our kids For everything, you know, we want to keep them safe. We don't want them to have to struggle. We don't want them to have to feel afraid or, you know, question things. And she really reminded me that it is such an illusion of control that you can control the outcome of your kids. And she said this, and I just loved it because I thought that it was just the perfect metaphor when we are overly protective, overly controlled, trying to just control everything. She said, if we're not careful, we will raise children who are literally just gonna melt on the first warm day. And I thought, wow, what an analogy, right? We're not always gonna be there, uh, to be with them. We're not always gonna be there to make the choices. We're not always gonna be there to do that. And, you know, a lot of what's happening In our world is really affecting our children. And so um, she talked a lot about what in our lives as parents, so talking to parents, what in our lives and what chapters, what moments have we grown the most? Like we grow when we fail. We grow when we have hard times, Um, And our kids grow the same way, right? We parent them through that with wisdom and grace. Um, But she really, you know, talked about how we have a moment with this pandemic to really show our kids, what do you do when you have loss and change and stuff is uncertain and you're scared? You know, how do you parent doing, you know, during this? And so she sat down and now she has older children. She has mostly teenagers and I think two college students, but she asked her kids, what do you wish that your parents knew right now? And I thought their answers were really interesting. Um, she said, they said to her you know we've we've lost a lot just in terms of like memories and friendships and she has a senior in high school and a senior in college which you know they're just missing so much of that and she said you know they they shared our structures all messed up our rhythms everything that we're used to and because of that it just makes them feel you know really out of control and to try and structure, you know, really this unstructured time um, made it even harder on them um, to really kind of get through some of that and be without friends and that kind of thing. And then the second thing was that they said to her, when you and dad have a moment where you show us your humanity, right? Right. When you're just human and vulnerable, that actually makes us feel less alone in that situation. And so, you know, for me, I took away, it's okay for me to say to my kids, like, yeah, this is tough. You know, I was having a conversation with our seven year old and, she was upset. She was just missing school and she said, I just hate this. I wish this was over. Kids need to go to school. Parents need to go to work. Like we we need to be around our friends and people and I just I just miss I just miss people. And in that moment, it can sometimes be quick to just sort of like put a band-aid on it. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Um, Inside out about the little girl and her emotions and how joy is just trying to suffocate sadness, right? She just is like, no, she doesn't need to be sad. She needs to be happy. Look at all the things she has to be happy for. And sometimes we need to to sit in sadness for a little bit, right? We need to just acknowledge that this is hard. We need to acknowledge that um, it's tough on our kids and that they miss our friends and that um, they probably weren't planning on being homeschooled either, you know, and um taking a moment just to sit with that and acknowledge that doesn't mean that you're not grateful. It doesn't mean that you don't have joy for the things that you have, but just sitting in that sadness for a second. And so I just said to her, "Hun, I know mommy feels the same way like it's disappointing we had things we wanted to do and we haven't gotten to go to any birthday parties or see friends or even just you know go to a special dinner or anything like that and I know that that's disappointing and I I'm with you I understand I think we can be quick to just want to protect our kids. It'll be okay. You know, this is going to eventually go away. And, um, you know, we're going to get back to normal. I, I, I'm starting to hate the word back because I feel like in a lot of conversations I have with moms, um, we say things. And I am guilty of this. So I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anyone else. But we are so guilty of saying, I just want things to be back to normal. I just want things to be uh, back to the way they used to be. I just wish my body was back the way it was when I was in college. You know, I just want my husband back that I married. I just want to go back to when things weren't so stressful. And the reality is, we don't own a time machine. We can't go backwards. Um, I, you know, sometimes I wish we could. I, there's some things I would do differently, but we can't go backwards. And so I've been challenging myself. To really try and say, I'm looking forward to when, right? Instead of always saying back because, um, you know, we have today and we hope we have tomorrow, but we can't go backwards. And so anyways, I, I loved that she just talked about being vulnerable with your kids, not letting them see you know, they shouldn't embrace our fears. They shouldn't worry about finances or jobs or things like that. But I think it's okay for them to know, you know, mom and dad feel disappointment too, and they feel sadness too. Um, We're still joyful and we still feel blessed because, you know, God is providing and we have all these things to be grateful for, but it is okay to also feel sad. So Rachel Hollis came back and and talked about a couple other things. She talked about consistency and she talked about leadership. Um, I definitely wanted to share a little bit of each of those. She talked about consistency in times of inconsistency. And uh, one of the questions that she asked was, Ask yourself questions to identify new habits and routines that you can create in any environment. And she told this story about how she loves to go to Hawaii. Her family, they would love that. They save. They look forward to this trip. And they had to cancel it because of COVID. And so she talked about, you know, in therapy, one of the things that her counselor had said was, what are the things about that trip or what are the things about Hawaii that you love the most that could be possible in Austin, Texas, right? And so I thought about that in terms of my own life. Is there something that I'm not able to do that I'm having a hard time living without? And for me, during this time, um, I tried to make a point to go and have coffee with a friend pretty regularly. Um, Jeff and I would get a babysitter and make sure we were going out to date nights, you know, as much as we could. And honestly, I made a point to have time away from my kids where I could have some self-care. It was something, like I said, I bought the planner with the whole self-care box. It was something I was really focused on in 2020 because I feel like for years I have put myself last if I even made it on the list of my own priorities at all. And so it was something that I was really focused on. And you know, like any other working mama right now, you have zero time because you are trying to work and home homeschool and keep your house clean and deal with toddlers. And I know friends who have baby babies, like little guys, you know, may even be breastfeeding and you're just trying to meal plan and you only want to go to the grocery store one day a week. And you, so you're trying to make sure you have everything, but then you can only pick up one package of chicken and hamburger. And I'm like, I'm having to prepare 21 meals a week, one package of hamburger and one package of chicken ain't going to cut it. So then I'm having to go back and there's just so many things. And so What I was missing was time for myself. I was missing time with other moms who I could just laugh with and have a cup of coffee with and tell funny stories from the week and, you know, what my toddler melted down over. Um, And I was missing time with my husband, uninterrupted time with him. And so the next question was, what are things that I can do to make me feel more in control? right? What are the things about some of those pieces that I can actually do that I can actually accomplish? And so, you know, some of that for me was, um, my morning reading time where I could have some, some self time. So, you know, Jeff and I both get up, um, about an hour before the kid. Sometimes I only get up a half an hour, um, but so that I can have some reading time or I can do my start to day journal or I can just sit on the couch and listen to silence uh that is important um I got together with some girlfriends of mine, and we had a little social distancing pop open the hatchback on the SUV or the minivan in the Target parking lot, and we had a little mom date, you know, BYO coffee, Um, and we sat there for like two hours and just chatted um, because we need that. We need that community, and so for me, those were some big things um, that I could still do. It wasn't the same, but it gave me some pieces of, of what it was that I was missing, so the other thing that I really liked from her um, talk about consistency was this conversation about habits. I have been doing a lot of research on habits, um, building habits so that you don't have to be motivated. Ah, oh, that is such an aha for me. If I, when I tell you that literally my entire life, I have thought anything that I wanted to do was up to me. And while that is true, it's not entirely true because we will never be able to be motivated enough Or have enough willpower to resist every cupcake or sticky bun or hot dog or whatever it is we're trying to do. I'm just using food because that's a big challenge for me. But we're never going to possess the willpower to just avoid that every single time. And so she talked about this idea of habit. And in order to establish habit, you have to find your greater why, and she mentioned a couple of books. I'm just going to throw these out there. Gretchen Rubin, I think, has a book on essentialism, if I wrote that down right, and then there was a book called The One Thing, and the author's last name was Keller, um, but I, I liked that too. She mentioned those, but basically, finding your greater why, and I thought this was so good because let's take like a health loss Health, health, not health loss, weight loss, a health journey, a weight loss journey. Let's take that. So let's say I establish a habit that says, or I write it down that I want a habit that says my health and weight loss journey is something that I want to be consistent with. Well, why? Well, because I want to be healthy. I want to have more energy for my kids. I want to love what I see in the mirror. Well, why is that important? Well, because I only get one life and I want to live it in the best way possible and set a good example. Well, why is that important? Well, because I want to be remembered for making a difference in other people's lives and my kids' lives. And I want people to speak positively about me when I'm gone. And ultimately, you keep working through these whys to me You know, I wrote, I wanted to leave, I want to leave some kind of legacy for my family and other people. And so that's so good. Sometimes we can just, the why is just, well, I want to get healthy. Well, why do you want to do that? Well, I want to get a promotion. Well, why do you want to do that? And so really just creating these steps that take you through deeper, digging deeper into why that's really important to you, getting down to that essential greater why. And I just loved that. I thought that was so good to just dig deeper. Like what we say on the surface isn't really the soul of what we're trying to accomplish. And I thought that that was just so good. She kind of wrapped up this section on consistency by talking about her Five to Thrive. And if you follow Rachel Hollis, this is probably something that you're very familiar with. It's something I really try to implement in my life. But she has these Five to Thrive things, and these are things that she does every day, consistent little kind of micro habits that just really help her have a successful day. And so those are, if you're not familiar with them, um, taking time for gratitude. And so writing down, you know, maybe five things that you're grateful for from like the day before. Not like I'm thankful for the sky. I'm thankful for my husband. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for Christ, like all those things we could say every single day, right? But finding five unique pieces out of each day so that you start to look for these little pieces of gratitude that are the building blocks of finding joy, right? the second is to drink half your body weight and water super passionate about being hydrated um I drink a ton of water I only drink water and coffee um I have one cup of coffee in the morning and pretty much the rest of my day is water aside from maybe a LaCroix which is a newfound uh delight of mine I never thought I would like those but I have totally bought into the bandwagon um the third thing is to give up a food category that you know is bad for you. So it could be something you struggle with or just something that you know you shouldn't probably be eating or drinking. Um, The fourth is get up an hour early. I started doing this probably in the fall, getting up anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes before the kids, and that's sometimes a little hard to predict because I have a three-year-old, but um, getting up an hour early and just having some time for yourself. That may be a time where you go for a walk. It might be a time where you read a book. It might be a time where, like me, you sit on the couch and listen to silence from time to time. Um, It could be when you have that first morning cup of coffee. It could be when you do your quiet time with the Lord. Totally up to you, but... She laughs because she's like, if you wait for your children to wake you up, it's probably not going to be a great day, right? You're just starting out kind of off-kelter. You haven't had a chance to kind of stabilize yourself before your kids are screaming your name and telling you everything that they need for the day. Um and then the last is to move your body for 30 minutes. And if you can't move your body, do something else for 30 minutes, meditate or um you know, pray whatever, but something for your body um that's intentional. And so I just I love those. I I've tried to add those um, you know, to my life. And she really kind of hammered on us a little bit about, you know, during quarantine, how's your nutrition? You know, are you eating foods that are going to bless your body or make you feel guilty and make you feel sluggish? Like we have choices every day for what we decide to do and how we decide to live. And, um, quarantine is no different. We still, you know, get those choices. And so, um, she also said, keep in mind that, Life happens for us and not to us is something that she says a lot that I love, and she talks about how prior to quarantine, her and Dave both were traveling so much, just gone all the time, and she found herself praying for more time with her family, just I want to be home more, I want to be with my kids more, and so she said, don't forget in moments of challenges to say, don't you remember when you were praying for exactly the life that you have right now. I just think that's so cool. And I kind of get a little choked up about it because I feel like we're quick to dismiss uh, challenges or things that we weren't expecting. But there are hidden pieces in there that really could be answers to prayer if we are able to, to take a moment and stop and look for them. So um, I loved that. The last piece of her consistency thing was really talking about um, how she identified with being a warrior this year. And she did a little bit of research on warriors and kind of who they were. And a couple of traits that they had was that they trained every day. They went to battle um, knowing that they were going to get hurt. They went into battle knowing they were going to get their butt kicked. And when that happened, they used that to identify where they needed to work, where the weak point was, and not giving up, you know. Um So she talked about doing some work on female warriors. There's so many female warriors. You think about people like Joan of Arc, um, who did just some amazing things as women. And what were their characteristics? You know, how did they act? How did they go after life? Um, Just really, really good stuff. So only two more, if you're still sticking with me in all this crazy uh, information. I know it's probably information overload, but two more. Um, John Maxwell was kind of the last person to speak before Rachel wrapped everything up. And if you have not read some of his stuff, I mean, he he's like the father of leadership and he's kind of like a grandpa. He actually reminds me of Jeff's dad, my father-in-law quite a bit, just the way he laughs and some of the jokes that he tells. But He talked about the courage to continue and thinking about when some of this is over and, you know, what what does courage to continue in the midst of this look like and courage to continue after. And he gave this quote um, by Margaret Thatcher, who's another woman that I want to do some research on. She was known as the Iron Lady. And she said, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Oh, how good is that? That is so good. Um, John wrote a book called Today Matters. He talked a little bit about that, that every day matters. We get to choose courage every day. It's it's our choice. Um, he really emphasized what Dave had talked about earlier in terms of courage is based on our principles and values, right? Um, he said some of the, you know, best CEOs in prominent companies have told him things like, when you know what your values are, decisions are easy, and that you don't need to let a crisis move you away from those values. Um, and I love this. He said this and almost brought me to tears. He said, remember, too, that courage doesn't always roar, that sometimes it's that small voice that says... I'll try again tomorrow. Ah, working mamas. Can I get an amen right here? There have been days during this pandemic when we have been at home, in quarantine, with the craziness that I didn't know if all of us were going to survive the day. Meltdowns, high emotions, frustration, tears, you know, disciplines, timeouts, food probably thrown, things hitting the floor, Jeff and I short with each other, so much of that. And to hear the father of leadership say, courage doesn't always roar. And sometimes it's the small voice that says, I'll try again tomorrow. So, so good. Um, he talked about courage being something that we do in spite of fear not in replacement of fear that we are never going to be without fear uh in some you know chapter of life um he talked about getting the right kind of food to feed your courage focus food focusing on um your beliefs your faith that that really is um, the seed of courage, right? Is that faith, that value system, that belief system. And we know, if you study any kind of leadership, we know whatever we focus on is what expands, right? Whatever we focus on gets more of our attention and is more likely to get accomplished. So the only proof of courage is action, Courage isn't something that you can store up. It's something that you use up. Courage that is never used is worthless. The more courageous you are, the more courage you have. And I just I, I just loved all of that. I saw John Maxwell live in October, as I mentioned earlier, and Rachel defines him as like a grandpa that you can just sit down and have a conversation with. Um, I didn't have a relationship with my grandfathers. My mom's dad died when, um, she was 20 years old. So long before I ever came about and my other grandfather was very distant and we didn't have much of a relationship. He's a very angry person. And so, if I had a grandpa that I had a relationship with, I would imagine him being something like John Maxwell and saying things like we're just going to try again tomorrow. It's going to be okay. And that's exactly the kind of takeaway um that he really shared. And so if you are looking for some books on leadership or you know, you don't have a grandpa that you can talk to, Listen to some of John Maxwell's stuff. I think it would be really encouraging to you. So the final wrap-up was Rachel talking about leadership as well and what she believes about leadership. And she had a couple of core beliefs about it that I wanted to share. One was that as a leader, you're entrusted to lead The flog. That could be your business, that could be your family, um, you know, that could be a group of people that you network with, that could be um, even extended family or a younger sibling. Um, You're entrusted to lead the flog. She also talked about how. We have to be strong enough to be strong for them in terms of leadership, okay? I don't think that this is talking about a working mom putting aside her feelings to be strong enough for them, right? Like This is talking about leadership, um, being strong enough to, I think, really just... Be there for them in terms of like that mom role. Um, but if you're a boss, or she talked about, you know, her company, she had to figure it out. She's the leader. She has to figure out the plan. She can't look to her coworkers or her, her employees to be strong enough to deal with all that. She's the one responsible. She also talked about how it's heavy and it takes work. And that it's not about you, it's about them. And I... I love this about her. It's one of the things I really admire about her is her transparency. And she talked about, there's a reason that I can get up here and talk about how I pooped my pants on a juice cleanse. There's a reason that I can get up here and talk about, uh, you know, a situation I had with a tampon. There's a reason I can get up here and I can put all these details about my sex life and my struggles with my husband because it's not about me. It was always about you. And I just love that because I think that that's one of the things that I really relate to with her is just her authenticity um, and her transparency. And then lastly, she said, you just can't be a leader if you don't care about people. You have to figure out if that's, you know, what you want to do, but you cannot be a leader if you don't care about people. Um, And then lastly, she really talked about identifying the leader within you and she walked us through a two part exercise the first being who do you admire what about that person are the leadership qualities that you admire in them and you know i started thinking through that myself. Who are the people, who are the leaders in my life that I admire and what leadership qualities um stick out to me? And then secondly, identifying the best qualities in yourself. Where are the leadership qualities in yourself? What do you see in yourself? She talked a lot about servant leadership. Listening well, practicing empathy, creating hope, using your strengths, um, you know, how knowing how you're going to show up to serve people. And then as far as communicating in the hard times, like being intentional about what you want to communicate, setting clear expectations for everybody involved and modeling the behavior that you want them to have. And I thought that that was so good because those three things, I could apply that to my work life, I could apply that to my marriage, and I could also apply that to motherhood. Being intentional about what you want to communicate. You know, I'm the assistant sales manager for our company, and when we first started finding out about all this stuff... I put together a plan for our team and just said this is this is what we need to communicate. We need to be on the phone here 's the message How are you how 's your chapter? What can we do for you? We are here getting an update. But there was a plan there was an, an you know an expectation um, about what we wanted them to communicate to their customers. And then secondly, you know, clear expectations for all involved. I've told this story a couple times now, but when we went into this sort of quarantine period, Jeff and I had to sit down and have a completely like rehashed expectation conversation because we were in a schedule that worked and everybody knew where everybody was and all the parts and how they played together. And we had a very nice sandbox experience going on. And then we went into quarantine, and we have one home office, which he took over, and I moved out to the kitchen table, and there was just a lot, you guys, there was a lot of stuff. And we had to sit down, I think we were about two weeks in, and I said, we've got to have an expectation conversation, because we have not talked about what you expect of me and what I expect of you during this quarantine time. And we need to be on the same page about whose responsibilities that is to make sure different things happen because now everything is different, right? And just like in part of the earlier sections of even Rachel's conference where she talked about change really, really impacts self-confidence and, it started impacting my confidence. Like, can I do this? Can I get through work and take care of kids and meal plan and keep the house clean and make sure I'm spending intentional one-on-one time with kids and loving them and making them feel safe and heard through all this? It was just a lot. And so I really, really resonated with that. And then lastly, it was model the behavior you want them to have. Ugh, so good. I mean... Even this morning, I'm thinking I probably looked at my kid and said, stop yelling, (laughs) stop screaming. And my voice is elevated, telling them to not elevate their voice, right? And so modeling the behavior that you want them to have, um, that was, for me, resonated the most with just parenting and what that looks like um, right now. And then lastly, was really like leaning into the skills, as a leader, leaning into the skills and strengths of other people, um, make moves that are different. This is the time with this thing. That's so crazy. We have to be willing to pivot. Yes. Ross from friends pivot. We have to be willing to pivot, um, to change what we were doing, to be flexible, to adapt with some agility and focus, which is one of our company's values. Um, We have to praise often and teach well during this time because people, because of change, their competence is questioned, right? And so praising often and teaching well um, will help our families, will help our coworkers and probably even our bosses. You know, if you're in a company and you have a boss, like that's praising them. You know, they have to be struggling too. And then creating an atmosphere to explore new skills. Um, you know, she talked about just having to figure it out. You may have lost a job or your spouse may have lost a job. And so we're creating an atmosphere where it's okay, you know, to try and figure out something new. Um, so I loved all of that. That was, um, her section on leadership and, um, just really, really good stuff. I took a ton of notes. Mm -hmm. So the last thing I wanted to share before we wrap up is my own version of what she did. At the end of the conference, she took just a minute and she just spoke to everybody listening about what they were capable of and reminded them of their strength and their courage. And so I'm going to try to get through this without crying because... I know some of the people listening and I've got your faces just in my mind. And so I just want to remind you, if you're listening to this, you are brave enough to handle this storm. You are courageous enough to get up tomorrow, do it all again. You are strong enough to carry all of these emotions. Sadness for what is missed, grieving for what is lost, fearful for the unknown and yet you can still reach for joy you can still commit to growing your business communicating with your partner loving your kids and setting a good example on the days when you are overwhelmed and fear and failure creeps into your mind and your heart you can get up tomorrow you can stand firm in your faith your courage and your bravery knowing That you are enough. You are strong. And you were made by a father and a creator who knows your worth and your value. And has breathed life into you. And knows that you can walk through this difficult chapter and be stronger. Because you were made for such a time as this. Ugh. So good. So good. I sat there on my sofa and just... The tears, y'all, they just came because that reminder that we can do this, that we're brave enough, we're, we're good enough, we're smart enough, we're diligent enough, we can figure this out. So I hope today was encouraging for you and just sharing some of what I learned. If you have never been to a virtual conference, um, I really encourage you to do that. Or not just virtual conference, but any conference, personal development, taking some time to work on you. It will be encouraging. It'll be challenging um, and it'll be affirming for you, I think. So have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Memoirs from the Minivan. Hey Mamas! So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I had planned on taking this week to simply plan and prepare the next couple of weeks and I've been talking to all kinds of working moms and really excited for the next couple of weeks and what I have lined up. And my family's been on vacation this past week so it uh, was a time to just kind of relax and Um, be able to just kind of take a moment, honestly, um, after everything that's been going on. But my heart's a little heavy with everything going on, and I can't get this idea of what I want to say kind of out of my mind, and I take that as the Lord telling me to share. So uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of what I know and don't know and what we can do about everything that's been happening this week. So, let's dive in. So, normally when I record a podcast, I I have some notes. I typically make kind of an outline of questions that I want to ask and things that I want to say. Um, I don't follow the script exactly, but it gives me an idea... Of what I want to accomplish and it also helps me stay on track so that a podcast isn't three hours long which of course none of my mamas would have time to listen to but I had a long drive back yesterday my family drove down to Florida in an RV and the drive home was about 11 hours and then you add two children and parents and gas stops and dinner and all the traffic and things. And it took us about 12 and a half hours. And so during that time, I was kind of scrolling through social media. I really hadn't spent a whole lot of time on social media other than sharing some pictures because I really wanted time to just kind of disconnect. And normally when I go to Florida, I love to share some inspiration Um, from my time at the ocean. I love the ocean, and I feel like it's so symbolic of the sort of dynamic presence of God. You know, as far as you can see, the ocean goes from one end to the other, and as far as you can see in front of you, too. It just goes and goes, and it, um, it just really has always been a place for me where I have found... God it's it's just really a place where I feel the presence and the power and the majesty um, and the reverence because the ocean is so powerful while still being so calming and so I, I really just love that but this week with everything going on the charges against the police officer um, the protests and riots and everybody on social media, you know, has a different opinion. And so I was just reading through some of that and stopped to kind of think about, how do I feel about this? Why do I feel a certain way? What causes someone to feel a certain way? You know, what is racism? What Is anti-racism. What does it mean to see people? What does it mean to say something like, I see you, I hear you? What does that mean? It's easy to post that on social media. Uh, It's totally different to show up, right? I I keep thinking to myself, this is what we do kind of on social media. We put this stuff out there and it's sometimes, and, and this is me owning this as much as anybody else, but sometimes what we put out there is what we wish we could do or what we wish we could be. Um, It's that highlight reel, essentially, and it's not who we really are. And so I have had this on my mind and my heart for really the whole week. It's kind of been just sort of sitting there um, asking me, what are you going to do with this? You know, what What are you going to say about this? And so I wanted to kind of talk through just a couple of different things that have come to mind for me. And the first is, why do I feel the way that I do? So for those of you who don't know me personally, I grew up in a very small town um, in Tennessee definitely, I would say, part of the Deep South. And I grew up with parents who still remember when we had black and white restrooms. I have grandparents who have passed away now, but grandparents who still very much remember the Civil Rights Act in the 60s and all that came with that. And so... I started there, and I said, you know, as um, a a white, female, middle-aged Tennessean, this was my worldview. This is, you know, what I grew up with. I think sometimes we think that, we think of slavery, right? And we just think, or at least I do, am guilty of thinking, that's ancient history, right that's that's so far removed and so long ago that there's no way that that's still impacting anybody today right that's what we read about in the history books that's ancient history and it isn't though the reality is is that it just hasn't been that long ago that this type of suffering and abuse and just horrific things happened I mean, less than like, what, 60 years ago, we still forced human beings to use a different restroom. I, the, the thought just baffles me, but that's how close it was. My parents lived through that. Um, they lived through, um, you know, when, when all those changes happened. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, how has that... Framed my perspective. You know, I grew up in a very small town, and my grandmother was of Church of Christ, you know, very strong woman of God, but it was not uncommon for her to use inappropriate language in regards to another race. It was not uncommon for any of my family to refer to certain parts of town as quote unquote black section. And, you know, I'm sharing this because this is, this is what I grew up with, right? This was normal for me. Nobody thought anything about it. And so as I start to think about how my views are framed and how I think about the world I'm starting to realize that what Rachel Hollis says is really true. She has something that she says um, that says, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. You know, I've always said you can't know what you don't know. Sometimes you just do the best you can. You don't know what you don't know. And for most of my life, because of how I grew up and where I grew up, I just didn't know. I don't had any interaction really with anyone else of another race, probably until I got to college. And really for the first time in my life, I was thrown into a culture of all different kinds of people. And for the first time, I really started to see the beauty of the world through God's eyes because I had only ever known this little bitty You know, blip on planet earth that was my hometown. And so I've really started to think through that and how that has framed my perspective. And the reality is I'm just incredibly limited on my amount of knowledge. And so that's, you know, that's where I'm coming from as I start to kind of wrap my head around everything that's being said and what I think about it and, you know, what I believe. And I obviously feel very strongly that, that, This is wrong, Um, you know, that us categorizing any one group of people and, you know, treating them any differently is just so wrong and it's so against how God created this world to be. And so that's where I started. I started with where is my view and where does it come from? Um, And then I moved on to what I know. So when I see, you know, these stories and hear about some of the atrocities that have happened, and there's all these names, you know, that people are circulating to remember these lives that have been lost, it's very easy to disregard because I don't know them, right? Right. And so I started to ask some questions of people around me. Have you ever experienced this? Does this happen to you? Um, Is this for real or is this more fake news? Like we sometimes don't know what to believe, right? And again, this is not me trying to be insensitive. This is me sharing what this tiny little part of my world looks like just because of my limited knowledge. And so... What I found in asking some of these questions is that there are lots of people in my life who have been subjected or who maybe have experienced some type of prejudice alongside a friend or alongside a coworker. And, you know, one particular story, a friend of mine was saying that she was working late One night she was working for catering um, and they had finished an event and she was bringing a friend home who happened to be um, a football kind of esque, you know, African-American dude um, that she was buddies with. And she stopped at a gas station to get gas and she notices a police officer kind of looking at her and she kind of, you know, acknowledged him and paid for her gas and went about her way within a few moments. Uh, she was pulled over. She had not been speeding. She hadn't ran any traffic lights. She had not uh, failed to use her turning signal or yield a lane or any of the things that one would be pulled over for. And so the officer comes to the window, asks to see her driver's license, registration, you know, all the things, and then asks her if she's doing okay tonight And then she was like, well, yes, you know, can you tell me, you know, why I was pulled over? Oh, we're just, you know, just checking, you know, just checking in on you. And so everything is wrapped up. Everything's fine. There's no citation. There's no ticket. And so she starts to drive away and she's like, what the heck was that all about? And her friend was like, what do you mean? I mean, we were just profiled. She's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I mean, look at me. I'm a you know, big guy and I'm a black dude and you're, you know, a little white girl. Like, why are you hanging out with me? And he wanted to make sure that you were safe because obviously I'm a threat. And she told me that story and I was just like, I'm, I'm shocked that that kind of thing happens. Um, and kind of in disbelief and I just, I just don't know what to do with it. Because, again, that's me never having experienced anything like that. Um, And so I'm grateful that, you know, she shared that story. Um, What I know is that I I don't know much. Um, I, I don't know much. And I am learning. And this is something else Rachel Hollis says at the end of Girl, Wash Your Face. And I love it. But she reminds us that if all the people in our lives look like us, act like us, believe like us, speak like us, we don't learn anything, right? We can't grow outside of our own uh, demographic or mindset. Um, And really, we don't love well because we're just in this little box that we've created that's maybe we think safe or comfortable or whatever, But we really limit ourselves um, to loving, to being able to show Christ's love because we're just in this little section. And so I have also realized um, just in the past couple of years how few friends I have of another race. And that's not something that I've purposefully done. It's just been something that sort of happened. And now within the last, I would say two years, three years, um, I have more friends of different races. I have a very good friend who, um, whose husband is African-American and she has opened my eyes just to so many things. You know, she has a son, um, and in her concern is what happens when he grows up. Do people look at him differently? When does he stop being a cute little boy and become a threatening man? Um, I think of sorority sisters uh, in my life who I love deeply and care about deeply and and, am broken by any, you know, prejudice against them. I didn't understand that. Um, I now have a niece Who is African American, and so my my thoughts go to that um, family member in my life to say, how is this going to affect her? How could this affect you know potential um, spouses for her in the future, or friends of hers, or you know how could it affect her you know personally? And when you start to get outside of your little bubble. It just does something to you. And, and it goes back to that quote that I, I said before. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And until we change and until we push ourselves outside of comfort zones and outside of just what we know and where we feel safe and secure, then we can't know. We can't see things any differently, not because we don't want to, but because we literally don't have the ability to. One of the things that comes to mind when I start thinking through scenarios and just that limited viewpoint that we have because of just lack of of experience, I think about the movie Remember the Titans. And... There's a part in that movie when the ex-coach's daughter is playing at the new coach's home, played by Denzel Washington. And someone comes by. If you haven't seen the movie, it's a really, really good movie. Um, It has an incredible message. And it tells the story of basically an African-American coach who was brought in to coach a football team. Um, And it was in that time of, I think, affirmative action where they were just making sure that people had jobs and um, there was a lot of discrimination against um, people of color during that time. And so this coach was brought in um to coach the football team and his daughter had become friends with the previous head coach who was now the assistant coach and while both little girls were playing in the living room somebody comes by and throws a rock through the window and honks horns and it's just you know stupid and the assistant coach comes to get his daughter, and he just freaks out. He's like, you know, you just, you know, you exposed my daughter to danger. Like, I I can't have her, you know, dealing with this or living with this. And Denzel turns to him in a way that, let's be real, only Denzel Washington can do. And he said, maybe you have a little bit of a glimpse of what my family deals with every day. The other thing that I feel certain that I know to be true is that we can't underestimate the power of a small group of people because that's the only thing that has ever really changed the world. And I forgot who said that, but that is so very, very true. I think that... What I know is that there are a lot of incredible human beings in the world. We have close friends who are police officers who are mortified by things that happen like this, but yet lumped into that same category. And we're real quick to defend as we should be, but we should also remember that it's just a small group of people who are causing a lot of damage and that the bulk of this movement is peaceful and people just trying to say, you have got to start listening. You've got to start paying attention. We aren't making this stuff up. And I was really challenged by that thought how quickly we are to defend how good you know this was just a bad apple or a bad seed, and I think that's true because I think we have an incredible um, we have an incredible group of of police officers, most of whom defend and love every person that they protect. But what I also know is that a lot of those people who maybe are the bad apples may very well have a world perspective that I came from. They can't see the world as it is. They can only see the world as they are. And so they're living in this place that says that some people are undeserving. And what hurts my heart with that is that they are... There's just so much brokenness there, right? There's brokenness and just lack of knowledge and hurt by people who have been suffering for years, people who've had multiple family members harmed in some way or subjected to something undeserving. And then we have the brokenness and the lostness of people who can't see people through any lens, but their own life. And they have this prejudice and I'm confident that they probably don't know where it comes from, but I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes straight from hell. Satan is only interested in killing and stealing and destroying. And he does that in any way possible. So that's where it comes from. That hatred, that, that evil, It comes straight from the pits of hell. And so I think when we're thinking about that and when I think through that, Christ came for us all. Every man, woman, child, every color, every demographic, every sin, everything we've ever done, he came for it all. There was no difference in what he came to do. He came to save the world, period. There wasn't a comma or a semicolon. Or he just came. And I'm sure it breaks his heart to see us fight like this, to see people he died for subjected to something evil, Because they look different. Imagine Christ's heartbreak in those moments. Some even as far as to say religious leaders or, you know, I'm thinking back to my grandma who was, you know, a huge church of Christ, loved the Lord. Shoot, she'd witness to you in the cereal aisle in Kroger and ask you if you were ready to meet the Lord. But deep down, she could only see the world through her lens. She could only see it as she was and not the reality that it really was. I say all this to say, one, that's where I came from. That's where my knowledge comes from. Families who remember those time periods. They're not just in the history books. They are recent memories. And if they are recent for me and my parents and my grandparents, I have to believe that they are raw and they are hurtful. To a lot of families out there whose maybe grandparents lived through that too. And what I know is that Christ died for it all. And even though I don't understand, I don't understand. I'm beginning to figure out that it's not somebody else's job to teach me, but it's my job to learn. And I'm not sure that I even know what that looks like, other than to start asking a lot more questions. What did that feel like? Has that ever happened before? What do you need from me right now? What can I do to help expand the worldview of somebody else? And I think part of it could be just sharing the story. Just sharing why it is that I see the world the way that I see the world. We assume that everybody, I think, sees the world kind of the same way, right? Because we see it as we are, not as it is. And so I think we have to start asking harder questions. We have to start putting ourselves in an uncomfortable situation because other people of color are being forced into uncomfortable situations, so if we can step into an uncomfortable space in solidarity and just say I'm here I'm I'm right here with you. It's the thing that I think of when I think about how to support a working mom who is drained and exhausted. She doesn't need advice. She needs someone to say I'm right here with you. You've got this. I believe in you. I support you. I'm with you. So, the question then becomes, what do we do? I think it can be really hard to know what to do, especially in our world. So, We pop open our phones and we get on social media and we're real quick to say, this is how we feel, this is wrong, this is right, I love America, and here's a Martin Luther King quote. And you guys, that's what I did. I shared a Martin Luther King quote because it supported what I was feeling Right? And I was challenged just in my own heart. Why did you post that? Why did you say that? Does that help? Newsflash: we don't change anybody's mind on social media. Nobody's changing political affiliations or party lines or probably even the way that they parent or how they're in their marriage based on what they see on social media. If anything, you know, we're we're just comparing or we're trying to shut off our own mind or make ourselves feel better about something. And so I was really challenged by that because it was sort of just like my second nature to do that. Because again... That's how I see the world. I see it because that's how I am, not because that's how the world really is. So what can we do? What can I do? I want to make sure that I keep expanding the people in my life, that I keep pushing myself into uncomfortable situations and conversations so that I can listen and so that I can learn. Because here's the thing. Throwing it way back to Stephen Covey, you know, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Nobody is going to listen to anything you have to say until they feel your love, until they feel your genuine interest, until they feel your care and support. I think all too often, we just try to throw a Band-Aid out there and say, here you go. I support you. Here's a Band-Aid. I don't know what else to do. And... That's kind of where I'm at on most days. But going back to what I said before, I think the burden is on me to listen and learn and love. And it's not on someone else to educate me. It's our job to expand our worldview. It's our job as Christians to push back on things and say, I'm loving you straight through this. That's what Christ did. If anything, he walked into the churches to, to the, you know, I can't think of the name right now, but he walked into those leaders, the Sadducees, you know, and, and, and said what, basically what's wrong with you? And he went out and hung out with the people and he got to know them. And they trusted him, and he loved them irregardless of anything that they had done. And in turn, he was in relationship. They were in relationship. And so that's what I'm going to work on. That's my pledge. That's my, what can I do? I feel hopeless and helpless, and I'm tired of just posting something that doesn't make any difference on social media so that I can feel better. I'm going to expand who I talk to. I'm going to be intentional about being in community and being in relationship with people who look different than me and my family, people who think differently than I do, and people who have a worldview that I don't have simply because. They didn't grow up in that little country speck of a town that I called home, which I love, but it's limited to its own capacity, right? It's limited to its own views until, until people push outside of that perspective. So I don't know where you are if you're listening to this. I didn't intend to do a podcast today today about this, but the vision for memoirs from the minivan was given to me a little over a year ago, but about this same time. And it's not mine to control. God gave me that vision and I think he wanted me to share this today because he just laid it on my heart and just kept nudging me all day. Please don't be quiet about this. So I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to hear about your world as you know it so that I can see the world as you know it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Memoirs from the Minivan, where I shared my thoughts about all the things that are going on. If you know a mama who you think has an amazing story, please reach out. You can reach us at memoirsfromtheminivan at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at memoirsfromtheminivan or Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can be in the loop on all of our upcoming episodes. Have a great day, mamas.